Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsnetwork.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Ross. Oh, lots of big stuff going on this week. Oh, the yes. saga of the Baltimore ransomware marches on. Uh-huh. Well, not, we'll give what update we can on that as Baltimore tries to figure out what they're going to do. There was a huge security app, a security uh, flaw in WhatsApp. And uh, we'll talk about that and why you better update your WhatsApp. Pronto, carriers have promised to stop selling your location data again. Uh huh. They were caught the third time selling it. They said, okay, this time we'll really stop selling it. <laughs> For real. And uh, the invention of the week is this ProTech DNA gel that you sort of just rub on your belongings and then you, can, you can identify them. DNA gel? Yeah, they call it a DNA gel. It's actually, it's kind of a... Is it your DNA? No, it's not your DNA. It's it's actually a very clever idea, and it allows police to, you know... Uh, you know, blink up a stolen piece of property with the with the owner. Interesting. It's really a nice idea. And this is really, a, all of you metric fans, this is the week that we get the new kilogram standard. And, and the original weight, kilogram weight, that was stored in a vault in France is now going to be retired. Will I be, will I weigh more or less now? Uh, you'll weigh the same, but it'll just, oh, man. And, and that weight in France was called Le Grand K. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it. oh, and this week we're going to feature Erwin Jacobs. He's the uh, co-founder of Qualcomm. Uh-huh. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. We got an email from Jacob in Ashburn. Dear Tech Talk, I've heard of this phone scam where callers leave a message and then hang up. When you return the call, you reach an expensive toll line. Is there any way to protect? <laughs> there's any way to Great. protect yourself from this attack, Jacob and Ashburns? Well, well, it's it's called the ring scam, and the ring scam is back. You know, that's when you get on your phone, you call a number you don't know, and it, and the or number calls that you don't know. It stops after one ring, and the scammer hopes you're going to call right back, because actually you're calling an international toll number, and you won't know it until you get the charge on your phone bill at the end of the month. And most of the money in that charge goes straight to the scammer. So if you – and you can't tell if the number is a toll number until you get your bill. I mean, that's the problem. Now, the FCC has issued an advisory. It says consumers should not call back unknown late-night callers <laughs> using the 222 West African Country Code. Boy, this sort of seems kind <laughs> of uh, – would you do that? No. So here's the thing. Uh, what I on my cell phone, if I don't recognize the number, I wait for a message. 
Oh yeah, if I don't, I don't, I don't answer any calls yeah. from numbers I do not recognize. That's right. Ever. So this is this is uh, th- this is coming back. This is this you know this scam comes back about every few years and it's back again in spades. We got an email from Jim in North Carolina. Dear Doc and Jim, I heard about these devices that can re- report about car problems in your car. They notify the dealer or they notify the owner when something's wrong. How do these devices work and are they worth it? Mm. Jim in North Carolina. Well. If you purchased a car after 1996, chances are it has an OBD2 on it. That's onboard diagnostics port number two. OBD, onboard diagnostics. Every truck or car on the road manufactured after 1996 in the U.S. is legally mandated to have an OBD2 port. Now, OBD2 is an onboard computer that monitors emissions, mileage, speed, and other data about the car. It's also connected to your check engine light, it's, um, which illuminates when the computer detects something. The OBT2 onboard computer features a 16-pin port, which is located on the driver's side dash, normally under the, you know, under the steering wheel somewhere. It allows a mechanic or anywhere else to read real-time error codes using a special scan tool. You simply plug the scan tool into the port, and you can read the codes. Now, you can also get a Bluetooth dongle. You can plug it into the port of Bluetooth dongle, and you can connect to your to your uh, smartphone um, or to a laptop with Bluetooth without even a wire, and you can read all the error codes directly. So there are a lot of devices, a lot of scanning devices that actually have this wireless capacity. They sell you the Bluetooth dongle that plugs into the port. It scans it. There's an app for your iPhone that you can, that you can get. Some of them actually... You download the app, and that, and if there's a certain kind of error signal, it, it sends out a text message uh, that there's something uh, something wrong. And now these scanners are, you know, again, in front of 50 bucks. Now, make certain that the scanner supports your car's manufacturer. So even though the OBD2, OBD2 port was standardized in terms of its geometry, the government didn't force all the manufacturers to use the pins, the 16 pins in that plug in the same way. Uh-huh. So some of them use pulse width modulation. Some use, uh, you know, frequency modulation. So they have different ways to communicate the data. So what you want to do, you you want to make certain it supports your 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 car's manufacturer. Now I would just get a uh, an OBT2 port that supports all protocols. There are about six protocols that cover all the manufacturers, and then you can handle it with anybody. But there are a lot of devices that use that port, and if you really are a techie and want to track it, you could have real-time data about your engine, the O2 sensor, everything about your engine as you're driving. Uh, so this is called an OBD2. Um, what's the what's the interface called? A dongle? Well, no, a dongle is just you. It's a wireless. Right. You just yeah. plug it in, and it's, and it's got a Bluetooth. But I'm going to try to find one of these on on Amazon and see how much yeah. they cost. Yeah, it's less than fifty bucks. And so, and then what you do is then then you that 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 Bluetooth connects to your smartphone, and then you download the app that goes with the scanner. So the scanner is built into the dongle. And so you just you just, you just put in OBD2 scanner. Yeah, that's what. And that's... you'll see them all. And you scanner wireless, and you'll get them all. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, and there, and there, and there's one on here for thirty-four dollars. Yeah, you can buy, you can get them. You know, you, uh, I mean, you can you can spend a lot of money if you want, but mm-hmm. you can also reset the the error lights if you want with these things. We got an email from Bob in Fayetteville. Dear Tech Talk, I get a lot of spam emails and like to get rid of them. They all have this unsubscribe button at the bottom. Is it worth it? 
I, you know, if I unsubscribe to them all, then maybe I'll get no more spam. What do you think? Bob in Fayetteville. Well, whatever you do, Bob, don't click on that unsubscribe link. If you yeah. click, if you click unsubscribe in a fraudulent email, it will not result in your email address being removed from the scammers list. What it will do are it's two things. It will verify to the scammer that your email is that your address is actually real and valid, and they'll send more emails to you. Or you might click on it and it'll take you to a malicious website where you download malware onto your computer and then then you're infected with something else. So the best way to handle the spam is to simply go there and and uh, do uh, on your email itself. There's a drop-down menu and uh, in your uh, email client and and declare it as either spam or junk mail. It'll move it to the spam filter or the junk or the junk mail filter uh, folder, where, whichever one, whichever name your email client uses. And that also notifies your spam filter that you're declaring this to be spam. And so over time, your spam filter will learn that you want this that this is spam and it. And it won't send it down to you. Now, if you if you did accidentally click on any any kind of link in that spam message, uh, uh, I would uh, I would get rid of the email by declaring it as spam, and then I'd immediately do a virus scan on your computer just to make certain you didn't pick up any malware. We got an email from Dennis in Texas. Dear Tech Talk, I get calls from salespeople all the time. I try to block the number, but they keep changing the caller ID. Is it legal? To have a fake caller ID, is there some, there's something fishy about those numbers. They're actually calling from a long distance away, but they look like local numbers. Uh, love this. Is there anything I can do about this? Love the show, Dennis in Texas. Well, calling or texting somebody, having another person's phone number show up in the recipient's caller ID is called spoofing. And it happens all the time. You can go to, there's a company called Spoof Card. You can, you can, you can go to spoofcard.com. You can download an app for your iPhone, your smartphone, your computer, any any kind of smartphone system, and you just tell it the phone number you want and the caller ID, and boom, that's, you'll get it. No issue at all, and they, they charge you a small uh, fee per minute for the phone calls, but spoof card is used by a lot of people. Now, they the FCC has... So the question is, is it illegal to spoof the phone number? That's the thing. So okay. let's let's go to the FCC rules. Let's do that. I want to, you know, now. I mean, I'm glad you brought the the rule book in. I got the rule book it's here. Big. Rarely, rarely do people actually sit up Saturday morning and read the FCC rules. Well, you do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. You know, morning. I really go above and beyond the call of duty for our tech talk audience. Now, the FCC rules prohibit anyone, I'm quoting, anyone from transmitting misleading Inaccurate caller ID data with the intent to defraud or cause harm or wrongly obtain anything of value. Anyone who's illegally spoofing can face up to a $10,000 penalty, but they have to have an intent to defraud. However, they go, the FCC goes on to say spoofing is not always illegal. There are legitimate uses for spoofing, like when a doctor calls a patient from his or her personal cell phone number, they might want to display the office number rather than their personal cell phone yeah, number. Sure, that, that would makes be sense. that would be legitimate. And so it's not illegal to spoof a phone number, but you have to prove that it was had fraudulent intent. And and maybe these uh robocall people they they say, well it's not fraudulent. I'm just giving I'm just giving an opportunity for this person to buy a fantastic deal. And so in that case, sure. it's probably not illegal. Mm-hmm. Now uh, now, telemarketers, they, they go on to say that telemarketers are not allowed to spoof their phone numbers in any case, and there are no gray areas, but they still do. There's really no enforcement of this. So 
Um, it looks like you are going to have to continue to, 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 to suffer with this, Dennis. I, I have the same thing. I just, you know, I, you, just, you, you just can't block every new number that comes in. We got an email from Don in Baltimore. Dear Doc and Jim, my neighbor wants to use my Wi-Fi. He's a nice guy. Yeah, a lot of people who want to do this. He's a nice guy. Should I do it or not? Don in Baltimore. Well, Don, you need to know him well because there's a risk. For instance, there was a man in Camden, New Jersey, that piggybacked on his neighbor's unprotected open Wi-Fi network and used it to download thousands of images and videos depicting child pornography. Oops. Of course, when the cops came looking for the culprit, they didn't knock on the perpetrator's door. Instead, they followed the digital footprint, which was your IP address at your at, at, at the neighbor's house, and they went in there looking for that child porn. Now, the couple that was there, they were innocent, and the, the police came in, actually, and looked at every single computer in the house, could not find any examples of child porn. So then they thought, okay, somebody must be connected to the network. And they eventually did get the guy. But that was a little bit of a problem. And sure. so they uh, they didn't go to jail, but it was just really annoying. Also, if you let somebody on your Wi-Fi network and you're like sharing, uh, hard, you know, you share hard drives between computers, you can easily transfer files and you don't have password protection, they can see all that sharing. So you got to be mindful that somebody's on your network. All your computers are exposed, so you better sure. make certain that they're all connected. Make certain you're not sharing anything because you don't want them snooping around your computer. It's like if somebody borrows your car and gets into an accident. That's it's right. your insurance. That's right. So I'd think about it carefully. Mm-hmm. It's probably not worth it. we got an email no. from Russell in Fairfax. I'm an amateur photographer. And I'm hoping to go pro before long. I regularly upload my photos, my best photos, to Facebook, my Facebook uh, case, my, my Facebook profile to get feedback from friends and other photographers. Someone told me that once I uploaded the photo to Facebook, they automatically become Facebook automatically becomes a copyright holder of the photo, and they can do anything they want with it. Is that true? I'm worried. Russell and Fairfax. Well, when you take a picture, Russell, you automatically become the copyright holder of that photo. And according to this page on the U.S. Copyrights Office website, you own the copyright on that photo until the, you pass away. And simply, in fa and simply uploading your photo to Facebook does not affect the copyright in any way. However, let's read the small print on the Facebook <laughs> Terms of Service. Now, that's another thing most people don't do on a Saturday morning, read the read Terms it. of Service. But you of, do that because you're a full-service kind of that's guy. That's right. Now, this is what it says on the Facebook Terms of Service. You own the content you create and share on Facebook and other Facebook products you use. And nothing in these terms takes away the rights you have for your own content. You are free to share your content with anyone else whenever you want. So they're saying you don't lose your copyright. However, when you go to another place on the uh, Facebook Terms of Service, it turns out that you are giving Facebook the right to use your photo in any way they want as long as they don't violate your privacy settings. So if you've uploaded a photo and you and your, say, profile is uh, public, mm -hmm. they can take that photo and they can take it anywhere and use it in ads, anything they want. Really? Now, that, now you own the copyright, but they can do anything they want with it. And if it's public, it may turn out that they might end up letting somebody, a third party, use it and your photo just gets being used all over the place. So uh, you still own the copyright, but you've lost sort of control of the digital content. Mm -hmm. So, But if your profile is private, they can only share it among your friends. 
So there you go. Those are the nuances in the terms of service of the Facebook copyright. Thank you, Mr. Fine Print. Yes, indeed. Listen, we love your emails. You can email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Which is, like, real fast. Yes, sorry, I didn't mean to do that to you. (laughs) That's okay. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2. You can watch us do the program live by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. Learn more about the great programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. Now it is time for... Where'd he go? IT. There he is. Yes, today we're going to feature Erwin Mark Jacobs. Erwin Jacobs is an electrical engineer, and he's best known as co-founder and former chair of Qualcomm. They, of course, invented the uh, protocol for mobile phone CDMA. Jacobs was born October 18, 1933, in Bedford, Massachusetts. In 1956, he earned a Bachelor of Science degree in electrical engineering from Cornell. Then he, then he switched schools and went to MIT, and he got... Uh, a master's degree in 1957 and a doctorate in 1959, both in electrical engineering and computer science. Right after he graduated, he got his PhD from MIT. He was an assistant professor and an associate professor in electrical engineering at MIT from 1959 to 1966. Then he moved out to UC San Diego, University of California, San Diego, and he served as professor of computer science and engineering from 66 until 72. Now, in 1965, he co-authored a book, Principles of Communication Engineering. And this, this basically laid out a vision for ubiquitous digital communication worldwide. You know, he was envisioning digital communication with mobile phones, with satellite everywhere, and he thought it would transform the communication infrastructure. And that book laid out the framework for all of it. Based on this vision, he founded his first company, Linkabit. 
1968, <laughs> Linkabit, and they developed satellite encryption devices. Now, Jacobs guided the growth of Linkabit from a handful of employees in 1969 to over 1,700 employees in 1985. And then, and then in 1980, uh, in 1980, Linkabit merged with MACOM, and um, and they and MACOM then you know expanded into microprocessor-based sped spectrum satellite communication for military and also anti-jam airborne applications. So this was a um, you know so he was really into um, into encryption and digital communication. Now, he helped develop and manufacture the first successful KU band VSAT terminal. This is a, a terminal that would communicate to satellites. His team developed the first video scrambling system, and it's currently used to scramble premium programming TV transmissions. The same one, you know, we also, you know, you, you try to watch a TV show, satellite TV show you haven't subscribed to, it's scrambled. It's scrambled. Yeah. So. Erwin Jacobs developed that scrambling algorithm. Thank you, Erwin. <laughs> <laughs> In 1985, uh, Jacobs founded Qualcomm, and he led the company into the mobile satellite communication and digital wireless telephony business on an international scale. Now, the first thing that Qualcomm did was Omnitrack system, and this was one of the world's most technologically advanced two-way mobile satellite communication and tracking system. Now, he pioneered a new signal processing method for setting up this communication. He used uh, CDMA, Code Division Multiple Access. And, um, and this CDMA was ultimately adopted as one of the two digital standards for the next generation of cellular telephones in North America. Now, CDMA used bandwidth much more efficiently than the older system which was based on time division multiple access. See, what it is, it used to be the old system, they would, if you'd have like 16 phones hooked up to a, um, to a base station, it would break up the, uh, the uh, signal into 16 time slots, and each of those cell phones would get one time slot. So every time a new, a new time period would come along, they, they would like get time slot number three, and that's called time division multiplexing. And, uh, and that was not an efficient way to use bandwidth. So what CDMA does, it grants users full access to the entire spectrum all the time. And, then, and so the question is, how do you pull out your conversation? What they do is that they encode each of the different signals with a particular pseudo-randomized digital sequence, and then each of the cell phones has a basically a matched filter that pulls out only their conversation. Now, it turns out that CDMA is much more efficient and it's uh, far superior than GSM, or uh, than, than time division multiplexing. The original European standard, GSM, was time division multiplexing, and they, they used time division multiplexing through uh, GSM generation 2, 2G. And then when they went to the th third generation of GSM, it turns out CDMA was so good that they actually got rid of time division multiplexing. So now both GSM as well as CDMA use, uh, use, use code division multiple access protocols. He holds uh, seven patents in wireless digital communication and shares 34 more patents through Qualcomm. Now the amazing thing that he did is that he actually, 
I mean, he's kind of a mathematician, but he was able to invent something, patent it, license it, develop actual chips for it, and develop a worldwide market. So he is an exceptional businessman who could scale things dramatically. In March 3, 2009, he stepped down as chair of Qualcomm, and his son, Paul E. Jacobs, took over to succeed him. He's a member of the National Academy of Engineering and a fellow of the IEEE. And now Qualcomm, of course, is now in a major, uh, has been in a major battle with Apple because Apple was trying to develop a competing chip for CDMA because they didn't want to pay the uh, licensing fees to Qualcomm. And then Qualcomm accused them of violating patents. And so this has been in the courts on and off and on and off. And I think they're just about ready to settle it. So there you go. Everything you want to know about Erwin Mark Jacobs, Very co-founder good. of Qualcomm. Hope you're paying attention because you can take that knowledge and turn it into free lunch. Uh-huh. Yes, there are free lunches out there. By playing the pop quiz coming up next on Tech Talk Radio, heard every Saturday on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2. Watch us do the program, download the Periscope app and uh, and uh, to your device, and follow us at WFED Tech Talk. Learn more about Stratford University and their programs by going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Russ, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes, yeah, no, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, they, uh, yes. isn't it, they have nice new seats here with cup holders in the new studio. They've got the everything they need. They... Unobstructed views. They love this popcorn machine. It's Theater great. in the round here in the, uh, in in the, the studio. Round. Yeah. So this is not just a radio show. This is a classroom of the airways, and we evaluate whether you have been listening and have been learning with a pop quiz. 
If you get the right answer to the pop quiz, you'll get tickets to fine dining at one of the Stratford University dining rooms. Earlier in the show, I talked about Erwin Mark Jacobs. He, of course, best no, his best known as co-founder and former chair of Qualcomm. Now, this is the question. What is the name of the company that he started before Qualcomm? If you know the answer to today's question, well, now's the time to pick up the phone and give us a call. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're girding your loins against a potential malware attack in <laughs> Canada, call us on the wild card line, 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the international line, 877-9-3639-333. Now, once again, here is Dr. Richard Schertz. Uh, yes, let's talk about this WhatsApp security flaw. This allows hackers to install malware in your phone. It was a newly discovered security flaw that enabled hackers to install a very dangerous piece of malware no- known as Pegasus onto your phone simply by dialing your number. What's more, the Pegasus malware will be installed on your phone even if you decline to answer the call. Hmm. Once Pegasus is installed by the hacker... He will have complete access to every scrap of personal and financial data that's stored on your phone, including all your financial data and your bank account data. Luckily, WhatsApp has released an update to fix this flaw. Now, this is what the WhatsApp uh, website said. It said, WhatsApp encourages people to upgrade to the latest version of the app, as well as keep their mobile operating system up to date to protect against potential Targeted exploits designed to compromise information stored on your device. They didn't really admit that this was that bad, but they say you want to upgrade right away. So if you've got WhatsApp installed on your smartphone, you need to update it with the latest patch immediately. You also need to ensure that anything else on your phone is up to date. Now, if you've got financial information stored on your phone, uh, you want to just keep a close eye on those accounts to make certain that somebody didn't get a copy of that stuff. So let me ask you a question. Yeah. With, these, uh, with these app updates, if you already have programmed into your phone, if you select, you know, automatically install updates, will that have happened? It would have happened, Okay, yeah. so you're okay if you've done that. But if you don't automatically do the updates, then you've got to right. go back and That's do That's right. And I would actually just – I'd just go there and just make certain that I've, it is updated. Because sometimes it, it won't update unless you're on Wi-Fi. So um, – you know, because people don't like to use all their cellular data to update. So you, you might be set up to update only on Wi-Fi. Mm, and so and so if you, if you weren't around Wi-Fi, maybe it wouldn't wouldn't have like if you're Ew. traveling, you wouldn't yeah, have updated. Sure. So good point. So it's a good idea every so often to go check the, the your uh, your uh, app thing and to just, see which which ones have not been updated. And I just I just I, I log into it and just update all. Yeah, I'll just see all the ones that are ready, and I just update all when I'm on Wi-Fi. I don't think we have a winner yet. We got no winner, so let's so let's keep on th- going. Should I ask the question again? What was the first company that Erwin uh, Jacobs started before he started Qualcomm? Okay, there you go. Carriers promise. Oh, wait a minute. What? Don't know, they don't know where to call. Oh, we should tell them where to call. Okay. Eight seven seven nine three six nine three three three. We're making them work today. Yes. Continue on. Carriers promise to stop selling your location data again. Last year, it was discovered that Verizon, Sprint, AT&T, and T-Mobile were all selling your real-time location data to third-party companies. They offered 
no oversight of what the companies did with the data at all. And if that's not disturbing enough, those third parties frequently would turn around and sell the data yet again for another profit. Hmm. The access made it easier for the government to track citizens without getting a warrant. And it was a gold mine for advertisers, I'm telling you. Because what they would do is you drive by Popeyes, and all of a sudden a Popeyes ad shows up right, <laughs> right, right on your cell phone, and a little Popeyes song starts. So advertisers loved this because they could they could geolocate you and 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 send you ads specifically to where you were. Now, at that time, all the companies pledged to stop selling their data, but last January, Sprint, T-Mobile, AT and T were caught again. Selling your data, mm. in case you and 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 so you know your location data was was extremely easy to get, and in fact you you could a bounty hunter could buy it for a mere three hundred dollars all the location wow. data. So then, the companies quickly promised to stop selling your data again. Now, five months later, in a year after the original report, the big four are still promising to sell your data. Because they, they, it was a little, they were a little bit slow at, at turning off the sales because they had contracts that had, ah. that had tail ends, you know, tail right. ends on them. Now they said they'll oh, really stop selling your data as of May. And so, uh, and the, but they said, you know, we didn't do anything wrong. Everything we did was within our rights. We did absolutely nothing wrong, but now we're not going to sell any more of your data. So there you go. Okay. All right. That Ooh. means we have somebody okay. on the phone. Let's go to line one. This is Dan who is calling us from Middleburg, Virginia. Dan, good morning. How are you, sir? Great, great. Love the show, guys. Thank you. Thank you. So earlier in the show, I talked about Erwin Mark Jacob, co-founder of Qualcomm. What was the first company that he started? It wasn't LinkedIn. It was Link Link a bit. Very Correct. good. Wow, very good. That was that was a nice play there. Yeah, very good. Uh, excellent. So hang on a second here. We are going to send you back over to uh, Andrew, and Andrew is going to a little late playing the music there. <laughs> I'm in. My brain is in seven second delay today. So there you go. Uh, Dan, go. hang on a second, and we're going to send you back to Andrew, who is operating constantly in real time. And he will take your information. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2. You can watch me screw up the program by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. Also learn more about the great programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. Be right back. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford 
Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. Let's talk about the Baltimore Robinware ransomware, Robin Hood ransomware uh, infection. That's a lot. Yeah, and about ball- mouthful. It was. It was hit with Robin, uh, the Robin Hood ransomware. Uh, you know, earlier in the month, and that's a strain that was actively targeting government networks in the United States. And the reason they were actively targeting government networks, especially city networks, is that their security tends to be pretty abysmal in the cities. They don't. They don't put much money into it in their budget. Now we re- have bike lanes. Yeah, got and we're bike. banning plastic straws, but we don't have cyber insurance. No. So researchers have found that local governments often have very poor cyber defenses, and they present hackers with a very attractive target. Now, officials at Baltimore said they will not pay the ransom. Okay? And out of abundance of precaution, the city has shut down the majority of its servers because they don't know what's happening to all of them. Now, this is reminiscent of attack in Greenville, North Carolina that was similar. It was the same rant it was actually the same ransom message was left on Greenville's machines. They demanded a payment of 3 bitcoins to unlock the affected systems or 13 bitcoins for unlocking all the systems. And then they levied a $10,000 per day after 4 days. It was the same ransomware. Now, Greenville opted not to pay the ransom. At least that's what they're telling us. And um and they and it ended up so it's it's sort of interesting. It it took them quite a while to actually get back online because they had to re-image all of their computers, and they they had to do it manually. And uh, fortunately, they had disk images of all of the computers, and they had to go in and manually re-image all the computers. And they were able to get everything back online in about a month. Mm-hmm. But they they're they, a much smaller city. They than Baltimore. are much much smaller. Now, Kremitz, a cybersecurity analyst with Manhattan's district attorney, determined that Robinhood uh, ransomware could not have spread from machine to machine on its own. Rather, the attackers had to own the network. They had to appear as legitimate administrators on the network, and then they would upload the malware directly to the computer. So this could not have started by them sending out uh, an infected email, somebody clicking on it, and it goes rampant. That could not no, have No, no. What, what would happen— um, Suppose they've got a there's a government worker who who has a laptop that hasn't been uh, patched with the latest security updates and they get an email with a malware link and they click on it and if their computer has not been updated with the latest security patches it could infect their machine now if their machine is a trusted machine they go from that machine to another machine to another machine to another machine so the so the point of entry could have been by an email with uh, w- with a malicious link so it, on it. It could have been. It could have been. I mean, or uh, more, m- it most the most likely scenario uh, is that uh, there were people working on the network, and they left. Uh, they were doing remote access work on the network, and they left the re- remote access ports open to the internet, 
and the um, and the machine that had the remote access activated had not been patched. And there are a lot of ways to actually go in there and hack a machine through the ports that are that that connect to the remote access. And I don't think Baltimore knows yet how exactly they got in to do this. No, they they don't. So they, there there are many vectors, but but once but they actually ended up having administrative control of the machines that they infected. So they owned the network. Mm-hmm. And and there and there are not, there are a whole number of attack vectors now. Now it turns out Greenville, you know, it took them a long time to bring this back up. Now Greenville, okay, they had insurance, okay. and so they had cybersecurity insurance with a fifty thousand deductible. So so if you have insurance, theoretically that that could at least pay part of the ransom. Yeah, but and they also give you support. Isn't that part of the deal? They they they, they give you support. So it was a fifty thousand dollar deductible. So Green, Greenville's total out of pocket was fifty thousand dollars. Anything more than fifty thousand. So what they could do is they could hire a crack security team to come in to fix it, and that would be covered by the insurance. You see, they don't have to just do it do it with the city workers. Mm-hmm. Now, the the head of Baltimore security team told the city council last year at the budget hearing that he needed a cybersecurity policy. But the city council denied it. So Baltimore does not have cybersecurity insurance. <laughs> Great move, guys. Yeah. Now, the mayor this week has the, direct, the new mayor. The new mayor has the, directed the city's finance and law department to get coverage immediately. Good. That's like uh, you know, it's like closing so, the barn door after the horse is out. It is, but still, I mean, it's it, this doesn't mean because it happened now that it can't happen again. Yeah. Now, in a, the, the thing is now, so I, I went back. There was a budget hearing last year when the, the head of the uh, security was telling the city that they needed more money to secure their network. And they, these were some of his words. He said, at the budget meeting last year, the head of security said that the city was woefully behind in cybersecurity capabilities, staff needs, and infrastructure. He said the city's email system is running on site on creaky old systems. A firewall to stop intruders is being upgraded, but he said it'll take a couple of years' work to get, of years? to get it done. Also, is that, is that really? there is no automated installation of patches on the Baltimore's network. Basically, they're all done manually, and this means you got to go to a computer one at a time. You got to dispatch a computer, a technician to that, physically go to that computer and install the patch because they haven't automated the distribution of patches. That's why it's entirely possible that somebody's computer had not been patched and they clicked on a bad link. Mm -hmm. So there were a number of probably bad. Security practices engaged here, and they don't really know well, what the what the specific attack vector was because guess what, they have no anti-intrusion software installed. They'll never know. So they so normally with anti-intrusion software, you you, you can track, you can sort of watch the people as they go around. So they don't the it, it would be would be hard to know. Well, they're working with the FBI. They they may they may discover it. Mm-hmm. And they may not, but uh, so you know, one of the working theories is these people generally overseas and probably in the Ukraine who did this. They, they probably did not specifically say, "Let's go after Baltimore today, comrade." They just throw this stuff out into the wind, and whoever <laughs> they get into, they get into. Right? Well, well, what they do is they uh, they they target cities because cities tend to be the the least prepared in cybersecurity. And then what, what they do, they'll scan the network, and they'll, and they'll see what vulnerabilities are there. 
And so they'll simply scan all of this. They might, they might pick 100 so, cities, mm-hmm. and you can scan those networks for vulnerability. You can do a vulnerability scan and see what open ports are there. And then what you do is you pick the networks that are most vulnerable. So so Baltimore won the lottery. So they, Yeah, so they go out and they are, they are looking for somebody, but they do go and they do some background and they figure out who's vulnerable and who, that's who they go who's after. Who's vulnerable. And, and see, Baltimore won that lottery twice. Yeah, with the 911 system. With the 911 system, you know, and they, got, they got it again. They got fixed. That got fixed fast, and nobody ever told us how. And I'm wondering if perhaps they um, paid it's, off that time. It's possible they could have paid the ransom. I, you, you never. You can't go without a 911 system. So you here's here's the, the the dirty little secret uh, about this ransomware. The companies that actually restore systems after you've been attacked with ransomware, in 95 percent of the cases, they pay the ransom. Now, the city or the company that hires them, they said, under no circumstance are we going to pay the ransom. They're just paying a technical support team to come in and fix it. But embedded in the cost is the ransom. Is the ransomware. So let me ask you this. (laughs) So if if they pay the ransom, does that make them likely, does it make them an easy target for these guys to come back? Or... Does that say, okay, we've hit these guys, they got it together now, and they're going to be harder to hack into in the future? How did, I, is, is the whole, we will or we won't pay the ransom, uh, does that make you more or less vulnerable in the future? If, if you're still vulnerable, they'll get you. I mean, you've got to, you, they're going to go to the most vulnerable network. So if they don't. So you're still if, on if, the list until yeah, I mean, they can't get in. I mean, yeah, Baltimore was hit for a second time. Now, Greenville, North Carolina was not. So, so Baltimore was still vulnerable. And, and you see, in last year, after the first attack, the head of computer security went to the city council and said, look, I need more money to fix the system. I need more money for and cyber. And they didn't and, give it to him. And they didn't give it to him. And so, and so, he's, so it's easy to criticize somebody, but they're, they're understaffed, underfunded. And so – Well, you know, and that's, that's the thing. I mean, mm-hmm. computer systems, unless you're in your line of work or unless you're in that line of work, you don't understand all of it. So you go in front of city council – and who are these people, right? Right. Politicians. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they don't they don't get this whole concept of what's going on here. They don't. They just figure it's money that's that they don't need to spend this kind of money. That's right. But until now, but, this happens. But now I think they understand it. And, and I, I think hey, now have you been to I Baltimore think, lately? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on it. We'll yeah. see what they do. I yeah. mean, uh, it's 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 the tip of the iceberg as to what's a mess in Baltimore. Yes. Yep. All right. Hey, let's take a break. Okay. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2. On the web at stratford.edu. Down, uh, download the Periscope app to your device and watch us through the program. Follow us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. Let's talk about the idea of the week, treating Facebook like big tobacco. Mm. Now, this idea was proposed by Bloomberg opinion columnist Elaine Owl. Now, Facebook achieved this huge market share because they have an addictive product. It's actually a competitive platform, and you get get a shot of dopamine every time you get a like. And so they have organized it to make people addicted to staying on Facebook. Don't you think that's kind of a stretch? Uh, No, it isn't. You you really think that – People, I guess if you're prone to that sort of thing, it's people addictive. go on there and and if they don't get likes, it's a downer, and they and they and they have to get like a like a fix by going to see how many likes they get on the thing that just posted. People get hooked on that; they actually do get hooked on it, and uh, and so it's uh, this. Wow, I got another like, and so they have created something that's extremely addictive. Now, a competitive application. So this, so this, she's just thinking out loud. Now, this okay. might, this might I, not make I, sense, I okay. but I'm just. I'd never heard this idea before, so I thought, well, okay, let's just talk about it. Now, <laughs> now, and so if you want to get a competing, so if suppose you want to break it up, so you have two competing platforms. Well, the only way that they're going to outcompete Facebook is 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 becoming more addictive. So that actually doesn't solve the problem, uh, you know. So the so the solution to a harmful industry that is dominated by a monopoly is not to foster an equally harmful competitor. It's to reduce the dependence on the industry as a whole. Now, regulatory proposals should begin by protecting the youth. Facebook has a messaging app designed for kids under 13, but expecting the platform to protect children from harmful content is like acting a tobacco company to make a kid-friendly cigarette. <laughs> I mean, if Silicon Valley execs refuse to let their own children use the apps, maybe they shouldn't allow the rest of the market to use the apps. Here, kids, try this. Yeah. A lot of our complacency toward, complacency toward social media platforms stems from a lack of understanding of how they take advantage of the emotional vulnerabilities that keep users engaged. It's not unintentional. Just like the tobacco companies spent four decades denying a link between smoking and lung cancer— Facebook has been the same way, denying any kind of harmful effects. That brings us to another response outside the realm of antitrust. Tobacco companies are now required to disclose content of their product and open their processing facilities to inspection to reduce information asymmetry, as they say. Now, so if we do something similar to that, the source code behind Facebook's newsfeed should be made made available for inspection. 
The nationwide decline in tobacco use was was the result of decades of public awareness. The government should recognize social media for its psychological properties and treat the companies that way with restrictions on youth targeting and with publicity about risks. I mean, I don't know whether I agree with all of that, but it Mm -hmm. is definitely an interesting thought. Yeah, it is. Um, I I see what you're saying about it being addictive. I I get it now. I guess everybody's... uh, is vulnerable to something. Some people it's tobacco. Some people it's gambling. Yeah. See, no, see, not everybody's addictive to the likes. But you know, just like not everybody's addicted to nicotine. But, right. But but it depends. But that's how they get people to stay on it longer and longer and longer. And so I I, I think she's got some very good points mm-hmm. there. So people claiming that we sh- should break up Facebook that doesn't actually solve the problem. No. Having two Facebooks competing to be more addictive. Makes it worse. Makes it worse, exactly. Yeah, so I, th- I th- she's got a point, and there may be some regulatory ideas embedded in that. That's why I sort of brought that out, because I, th- I thought it was original thinking. Yeah. This DNA gel thing, I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. This is interesting. Go ahead. This is the idea of the week, the Protect DNA gel. It's a new technology to help investigators return stolen properties. It's not real DNA. They just have that in the name, by the way. Thousands of Central Floridians are using this nearly invisible gel that links back to their owners. Now, the gel is free for anyone who enrolls on the Protect's website. Then Protect mails owners the gel in a package a few days after the consumers sign up, and the that gel is earmarked to them. Then they spread this gel, which is nearly invisible, using a, something that looks like a wand. It looks kind of like a Q-tip, <laughs> and they just they just put it on different they different. They swab it on there, and then law enforcement agencies use a microscope that clips onto smartphones, and this gives the phone this gives the cameras the ability to zoom in close enough to read the identification numbers on tiny little dots that are in the gel. No kidding. Can you? So there are tiny little dots in the so it's not really DNA. I wonder if it does it wash off over time. I don't I don't know. It, like, it, could I put it on my bike? Yeah, you could put it on your bike. You put it on your TV. I I I don't think it washes off. I don't put it on your children. And it says you. Yeah, I don't know if that would work. You, you, now you don't have to <laughs> apply very much. There there are thousands of micro dots. Investigators then track stolen property. Now, Kissimmee Police say that there are more thirty. There are more than thirty six hundred people are using the gel in their area. Mm. Police departments are now urging others to enroll and protect their property. So if you want to get your own Protect DNA gel, it's free. Simply go to ProtectDNA.com, and you can order it, and they'll be sent to you. And they're trying to get more and more police departments to use it, and and, and because then it'll become quite effective if it's used widely. We, uh, I'm going directly to their website now. I bet, I bet we can't use this in Baltimore. <laughs> you, you may you might be able to but but, but I, I wouldn't I would but tell. no but you would have to train the police on how to use it and they would have to have functional computers there's that get your free <laughs> dna property kit now a 40 dollar value so it's it's affordable it's for and it's free now because they're, they're they're trying to they're trying to have this thing spread virally right. i thought that was just a great idea cool. what a great idea TikTok. Is China's most important export now? Silicon Valley, TikTok, Val- not tech, tech talk. TikTok, yeah, TikTok. It's you know you 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 basically yes. upload short videos. It's a it's like a, it's like an Instagram for short videos. Mm-hmm. Now Silicon Valley may begun the era of social media, but the future could be in China. Now tensions between America and China are pushing the world's two largest economies into an escalating trade war. You know President Donald Trump threatens a tariff hike on Chinese goods, but TikTok. One of the most popular social media platforms in the U.S. and the world is Chinese. 
TikTok, TikTok could be the arrival of a subtler form of algorithmic influence with sophisticated Chinese AI controlling what has become a viral content potentially shared among millions of young Americans. It's not unlike the global influence of Facebook, Google, and Twitter that they've had for over a decade. Silicon Valley may begun the social media um, expansion, but the future could be transferring to China. Mm. Now, TikTok's a video sharing app designed by a Beijing-based tech company called ByteDance. <laughs> and they became the first Chinese-owned app to reach number one in the U.S. Apple App Store. It, they don't follow any of the rules that we have in the U.S. It aggressively mines user data. Its videos require sound. It's the largest. It's 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 built around um, central recommendation algorithm instead of a network of friends and family. It's sort of like uh, you know, it's like it's it, it dictates what you see. You don't do and it just has an algorithm that tells you what you're going to look at and and what you're going to see next. It emphasizes memes and challenges rather than individual influencers, and it continues to add addictive features. This is, they're really good at getting addictive features. They're adding more and more addictive features to, to try to keep people hooked into it. So they've got the trick to get social media going. The new kilogram standards, La Grande K, is <laughs> gone. On March 20th, the scientific community will officially change the defini definition of the kilogram. For 130 years, the kilo has been defined by a physical cylinder of platinum iridium alloy known as Le Grand K, which is stored in a vault in Paris. But every time the scientists handled it, the cylinder lost atoms. It estimated it lost 50 micrograms over its lifetime. So beginning on Monday, the kilogram will officially be measured by a physical constant known as Planck's constant. The change has been years in the making, and on May 20th, three other units of measurement, the ampere, the kelvin, and the mole, will also have new definitions. These proved to be easier to upgrade, the last three, because they weren't based on the Victoria-era lump in France. <laughs> the kilo will now correspond to the mass of an exact number of photons or particles of light of a particular wavelength. With this change, the kilo will be defined in terms of seconds in the meter, which are physical constants and therefore more reliable than man-made objects. Very interesting. I I uh, I like the Kelvin. You like the I like Kelvin. the Kelvin. Yes. Yeah. It's a it's kind of a cool name. The Kelvin is a very cool name, and of course, absolute zero is as cold as you can get on the Kelvin scale. Mm -hmm. Absolute zero. So that's really good. So I tell you, you this thing has been this digital this change to the kilogram standard. This is really quite a big shift, mm -hmm. and they're going more and more to physical constants rather than rather than actual measuring measuring uh, objects. So I think that's really a good move. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu and go to the Stratford University website, www.stratford.edu. Check out the programs there. You know, it could be in uh, hospitality, culinary arts, business, accounting, IT, software engineering, networking, um, any of the healthcare science or nursing. And tell them that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online. <laughs>